Welcome to Coast to Coast, an NBA podcast by the fans, for the fans. My name is Chris, and hosting with me is my guy, Ronan. Tune in every week as we dive into the hottest content and emerging rumors across the league. Dodgers pulls up, three-pointer, bang, bang, it's good, Dodgers wins the game at the buzzer. Don't miss a beat, whether it's a star on the move or the Knicks acquiring another forward, we got you covered. Zion for four for four, welcome to the NBA. The game is constantly evolving, and whether it's by the eye test or advanced stats, we'll give you the analysis you need to take your fandom to the next level. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! Sit back and relax. Coast to Coast starts now. another episode of coast to coast we're going to cover a lot of stuff today we're going to talk some mvp we're going to talk more sixers a little bit more west coast talk a little bit of zion all-star again there's a lot of stuff to talk about but first and foremost ronan my guy what's the crack how you doing i'm good man i'm good i'm uh i'm kind of disappointed we haven't got basketball really to watch over the next couple of days just the all-star game on sunday but uh there's been there's been some good good stuff going on over the last week and Something that we're going to start with here, a big talk that's coming around uh, now around the Philadelphia 76ers. We're looking at their two main guys, Simmons and Embiid, and whether or not these guys are an elite NBA duo. What do you think? Well, I think we need to, all right, we need to talk about this and give it a little, a little nuance, right? Um, when we talk elite duo, I, I think we need to talk about, um, you know, not just the record not how well they play as a team necessarily but i think in terms of like the way players complement each other i I think that's gonna that's gonna be important in this conversation here and as the conversation evolves because um i mean first thing that has to be mentioned is the fact that we're at this junction where we're discussing whether or not Embiid and Simmons is an elite duo the fact this discussion is happening period just shows tremendous growth from where they've um, come from, you know, a see just a season ago where people are honestly questioning, not even a season, like a few months ago before the season even started. Um, I, I still think there are plenty of doubters out there, whether or not this is a long-term fit, not because of the product on the floor, but because of this central question is, you know, are, do they complement each other in an elite way? Their, their product may, may be, um, elite in terms of how their, well, their team is playing, um, and how they're playing individually, but is there a compliment? Does their combination, is that elite? So I, maybe, maybe that's my question to you. Like, is, is that, is that necessarily how we should be looking at it as opposed to just the, uh, the gross product out there? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I think you look at them uh, just as individuals on paper, they're both extremely talented players and maybe as individuals, we will look back on the, uh, on them after they're, they are retired as elite players. And it's just kind of more the question now is we're kind of only looking at this. They've done it for half a season. So they got to do it for just a little bit, a little bit longer than, than a half season when then we can really, we can really start to get into it. But you look at what they do on the court as individuals. And then you look at the difference when one of them is not playing. And I think that's a good example of, 
how they complement each other in this Philly team. Mm-hmm. And, well, I, I'd argue that that's the reason why maybe I take pause with the idea of them being an elite duo. I, I think this team is elite with both of them on it. Um, but but the reason why Simmons is being so wildly successful in his role this year is because he's being he's accepting that he's more of a screener. He's uh, more of a cutter. He's um, really, really 100% locked in all the time on defense. And, you know, you're not seeing him being this pick and roll guard with with uh, Embiid. So the way that I would traditionally look at them, uh, maybe three, four years ago, when we're projecting them out, you're thinking, imagine that pick and roll scenario with with Simmons and Embiid. You, you can't defend that them playing off of each other like that. But I, I think just on the offensive end, the way that they don't, they, it, it's almost as if the, the best case scenario for Simmons in an Embiid-centric offense is that he honestly just does as much as he can besides getting in the way. Like as long as he's not in the way um, when Embiid is cooking, then that's kind of his best role right now in offense, which is which is a really poor representation of what he's been doing, which is being an an amazing screener, being an amazing facilitator. Um, So those things can't be um, disregarded. But I guess in terms of elite impact on the offensive end, I don't think Simmons is really, he's not making an elite impact Um, defensively. Absolutely. Um, But I mean, Simmons is doing that all on his own. Um, So I I guess maybe I'm thinking too much on it in terms of how, when I think duo, when I think of how they, they play off of each other in the same way that, you know, Kawhi and Paul George, that in my mind, that's like the perfect elite duo, the way they've been playing off of each other. Kawhi can, can play ISO and, and really fill it up in the mid range while Paul George is that wing creator that can shoot from three that they really, um, fill the holes of um, both of their games and and then on the defensive end of course you know that's that's something that Embiid and Simmons I think combine well but I, I, I don't know how do you see it yeah I, I, I would look at it at this very moment I'm looking at it, I'm saying this is not a, a, a duel that can be considered elite at this time I always look at it as just them two along with Tobias Harris they're just a trio that just complement each other very well and it just works in this current situation so i'd like i wouldn't say that they're an elite duo but what they do on the floor is is very impressive and i think i kind of like the dynamic between them in the way obviously mb is going to be the dominator on on, on offense but then you look at simmons and he can bring something that mb doesn't have and that that fast break ability, that ability to come from deep. If it be this person, someone up, he can, he can come in quick from deep, get a pass and go straight up to the basket. That's something that he's improved this year when he's driving to the basket. He's being that little bit more confident, that little bit more selfish. And you know, he's got, he's what, 6'10", and he's as fast as I'd say almost anyone in the NBA, which is, it's, it's almost scary. And the way that you look at them and be looking like the front runner for MVP Simmons looking like a guy that should very much be in the defensive player of the year uh, conversation. So, I mean, it's not quite there yet, but the talent that they have and the way it works in this Philadelphia team, if they can keep this up for hopefully for a long period, they're both still young guys with their whole careers ahead of them and, and the future looks bright in Philadelphia, but 
they're, they've got the, the the groundwork is there. It's just whether or not they can combine to to really uh, achieve great things. I think is where where we'll come back to when we're talking elite duos. Yeah, I you know it'll be a lot harder to have this this conversation and not say no if Simmons is the defensive player of the year and. Embiid ends up being the MVP like it, it's kind of a stupid conversation to not say that and I think it's it is two degree picking hairs uh, splitting hairs rather to be talking about how maybe they they maximize each other's talents but I, I do think that's that's an important thing I, I think that I, I still firmly believe that um, Simmons deserves to be in a spotlight where he can run a team I, I think there's there is a there's an opportunity for him down the road to do that. I think right now he's he's really discovering how to just be a game breaker on the defensive end um, and be a seamless um, multi. I mean, he does literally everything on the offensive end except for shoot. And it's just funny that his his uh, his running mate there, Embiid, like he needs a second star who can shoot. Um, that that's going to be what. I think down the line is going to be Embiid's best match. I mean, even if you if you inserted a guy like a Zach Levine or like a, a Devin Booker, guys who can play off ball and shoot, that in my mind seems to be more of an elite duo than Ben Simmons. Not to say comparing those players at all, but just in terms of of elite duo in that the combination of those two players makes them better. In the same way that I, I think guys like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, the way their games complement each other, it, it's not showing too much right now, but just the how they complement each other on the floor in the future, I think will bring out the best in both of them as opposed to the 76ers right now trying to, to make it fit. And then right now, I mean, it's undeniable that 76ers have found success with it. Ben Simmons has embraced his role that isn't being the primary uh, go-to playmaker all the time and the ball in his hands and I mean it's been a fantastic job but we, we mentioned Embiid in the MVP conversation front runner we've talked about it before we've made this comparison before and it was just about best center in the league best big man but now it's gone from hey maybe MVP to absolutely MVP that Embiid is right there along with Nikola Jokic it's an inescapable conversation every week of who is at the front. I think LeBron's definitely taken a hit in how his Lakers have been performing without AD. Um, and, you know, this conversation could easily flip based on how the next few weeks go. But right now it's, it's Jokic and Bede and everyone else. And got to reintroduce now that we're at the all-star break. Do you still have the same pick? Who was, who was my pick? Who, who was my pick at the at the start of the year? Did I say LeBron? I probably that was you. <laughs> you were too loyal, man. You're too loyal. No, did you say did you say LeBron? No, I'm talking I'm talking about between Jokic and Embiid. Between oh, the two of them. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I'm with you now. I was thinking way back to when we did our <laughs> season preview. But yeah, oh yeah, Embiid Embiid is still. Still my number one, no, no doubt about it. He he is my guy. I've always been been a big fan of him, and I think he is right up there at number one. I think you saw that game against Utah the other night. He just took over, and the big that 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 three he made, and the way he was in that fourth quarter is just everything that 
that the 76ers have wanted for the last few years and now he's finally doing it on a consistent basis and if you just you can't argue it's it's delivering success individually for him and for the team as a whole at 24 and 12 on top of the east so i think how can you look past him at this point yeah I, I guess maybe we should have rewinded and the the better question was who's the better elite duo simmons and Embiid, or the refs and the 70 and Embiid. <laughs> I'm not sure. Embiid is, and let's jump right into some of these stats comparing these two, because it's tough. It's really tough when you break down these two guys next to each other. Um, so, I mean, in, in minutes, Jokic has a slight edge, and we have to take into account, for talking to MVP, that Embiid has missed six games. Um, Jokic hasn't missed. He's only, I think he's only missed one game now. Um, Jokic is up there at almost 36 minutes a game, Embiid's at 33 um, I mean, their percentages are basically identical, um, which for Embiid to be shooting threes at the rate that he is, it's it's unreal. Um, and the free throw attempts, that is definitely something that separates Embiid from Jokic. And it's it's just, he's mastered it to, to a Harden-esque level that he can get to line whenever he wants to. Um, and maybe if you want to talk MVP and then that's going to be your, uh, your sticking point, that's, that's a tough one to argue is that someone getting to the line compared to the other guy, that's, that gives you half a point, maybe in my book. <laughs> um, I mean, rebounding, they're just about equal. I mean, defensive rebounding for Embiid, we, we have to really think about when we compare both of these players, one thing that we have to understand is also scheme and Embiid has really enjoyed being in a system where he's got perimeter defenders that allows him to be in drop coverage all the time. I mean, that's why he's swallowing up every uh, defensive rebound. I mean, he's, he's right up there in turn in the league in uh, defensive rebound percentage. He's right up there in block percentage. Um, one impressive thing from Bede for me this year is that he's fouling a lot less. So maybe he's not getting as many blocks as he was before, but he's staying in games. He's never in foul trouble anymore. There's never any worry about him um, not having to be set in the third quarter. I mean, that was a huge thing really uh, preventing him from dominating some games because you have 20 points and in 20 minutes, but have four fouls and that couldn't finish the game. Um, but, you know, I think the, the major thing for me when it comes to comparing these guys is one, the impact they're having on the guys around them. And two, you just have to take into account the different teams around them. So, and those kind of compound for me because Jokic is far and away the better playmaker. He's averaging 8.6 assists this year to Embiid's 3.3. We can talk all day about how Embiid has been a much better passer, has been much more calm and collected in the post and in passing out of doubles. But Jokic in his own right is quite possibly the league's best passer at the center position. Um, and he is... Also, he's not a slouch on defense. You know, a lot of people are talking about the fact that Embiid is like the way better defender. And I, I think it's pretty close, actually. I mean, when you think about defensive impact, Jokic is, I mean, he's he's getting switched up, up uh, on the top of the key. He's definitely asked to do more defensively than Embiid at times because he's playing up on shooters. He's not dropping down and drop coverage. He's not just expected to defend the paint. So maybe he's, his block percentage is lower. He's not like the most explosive athlete around the rim. Um, but before McConnell went off for, what was it, 10 steals the other night? He was tied with Fred Van Vliet for, number, for most steals in the league. 
So, I mean, he's been very, very active um, in his scheme and what he's capable of doing. I believe doing. he just brought up that Dick McConnell. <laughs> he did. He did me out. Of, did me out of a win in fantasy. He got like he got ninety four points. Did. How many points did he have? He got ninety four points that night. <laughs> like it was. Uh, it was absolutely ridiculous. I, I love that. Yeah, you had no chance after that. You're probably looking at, at the other guys' roster. This is in our fantasy league, and, and this this other guy's. You were facing the second worst team in the league, and TJ McConnell of all people buried you. Yeah, I think I ended up I, overall. I think I've lost. I lost by six or something. So that was <laughs> such a big difference that that night. Because TJ McConnell almost broke the uh, the steals <laughs> record for a game. Yeah. Um, That's nuts. But but back to Jokic. That this guy is. When we talk defense, you can't you can't see him as a as an impact defender. Uh, as as a negative impact defender, a lot of people see him as a negative, but I I don't think that it's that close. I mean, when if, if we break this down on facets of their game, I mean, do you see Jokic being that much further behind Embiid? Not this year, no. I think if we were looking at maybe the past two seasons, I would have probably said yes because I think this is an area that Jokic has really improved in. He's he's, he's slowly he's still not going to be your kind of a go to defender, but just the fact that he's kind of no longer being noticed. It's almost a good thing is to, uh, on defense. It's, it's a big positive for Denver and, and, and for Jokic. I mean, when you say, when you're talking about big man passers, yeah, Jokic at the center position, Jokic is number one, no doubt about it. And the way he plays and the way it works for the Denver team is so crucial. And it's really, it's helped out a lot because the Denver team has started to, to drive on and Murray is starting to find his form again and things are just starting to click that bit more and it's not just Jokic's MVP run anymore I I think that uh, the main thing for me has to be the playmaking aspect like I had said and the what I had said before is the uh, the difference in players Embiid has got a much much better team around him. You're not going to sit here and talk to me about, oh, well, Philly's had better team success, therefore Embiid is the got to be the, the favorite because a lot of people are, are trying to use that argument. Um, but, I mean, Jokic is dragging this team by himself, absolutely by himself, and now Murray's starting to, to catch his stride. But Embiid has other guys around him. He has Tobias Harris. He has Ben Simmons. He's got um, veterans around him and Danny Green. Dwight Howard, he's got other guys that he can rely on, but is that um, not the argument? There, shout out to Dwight Howard for hit, for hitting a wing. What is that, is that not the argument there though? The fact that he has all this talent what? around him and he is still, without doubt, the the number one in terms of MVP talk at this moment. He's got that other talent around him, that other guys that demand possession of the ball, and he's still the number one. He's still averaging thirty points a game, and he's still the most feared guy by the opposing team. I mean, maybe we've been looking at it all wrong. Maybe I'm looking at it all wrong, but the way I see it is that um, you, you, here's, all right, break it down by an actual, an actual game strategy standpoint. You, you absolutely double the hell out of Embiid because you want to force him to make decisions. You want to force him to facilitate and make a mistake. You can't double Jokic. It's impossible. If you double Jokic, you are 
automatically giving up points because he is going to find cutters. He is going to find the right play. And if not, he's just going to score over, he's going to score over the guy in front of him constantly. So in terms, in terms of what is going on um, from a, from a defensive standpoint, facing both of these guys, there's just, I, I think there's just nothing you can do against Jokic versus, I mean, Embiid teams haven't necessarily been wildly successful at it, but you can't really, you can't stop Jokic if you're doubling him. You can't stop him from making other people around him better. But Embiid, I, I think, you know, you can rely on Tobias Harris and maybe enter in your Jamal Murray argument. But uh, I, I think I think that Embiid has had an easier time with the elite defense around him and other creators around him than Jokic has had. Okay, yeah, no, that's fair enough. Well, I interrupted you there. We do have to give respect to Dwight Howard. He rolled back the years, not only hitting that three, but he got his that that, that Philly team back in the game against uh, against Utah with a few baskets, a few free throws, and a big block, and of course a three pointer when Philly were really struggling from three in that game without hesitation. He the <laughs> Philly hadn't hit a three in like almost I think it was almost five minutes in the game or something and <laughs> it was it wasn't even for the corner it was it was right in stride caught it no hesitation sunk the three from the wing and I was like sitting there like that was that Dwight Howard or was that Mike Scott no that was Dwight Howard. oh my god <laughs> it was crazy but if, if Dwight Howard's hitting threes then you know Nets Lakers Clippers it doesn't matter it's the the league is the league is over. It's it's Howard's league if he's hitting threes now. <laughs> I think if, if only he had done this five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think though, one guy we got it. We got to give some cred to if we're talk since we're talking about uh, potential MVPs is, is Damian Lillard out in Portland. That guy, that guy has been hella impressive. The only reason I don't think he's at number one at this stage is just because he's been doing this consistently for the last two, three years, even longer than that, maybe. And we almost expect this as a minimum out of him, which is is just crazy to think of because he's averaging 30 points, four boards, eight assists, throwing a steal with that too. He's shooting 93% from the free throw line on on, uh, nearly eight attempts a game, which is really impressive. He's dragging that that Portland team to a 21 and 14 record. He's got no CJ McCollum and he has just been absolutely unbelievable i mean i, I gotta had to, had to had to get a get a get a bit of a a bit of a, a celebration of his his season so far in yeah i that, that's a good question honestly why why is he not necessarily at the top of the list here as well um and you're right maybe, maybe it's it's because He's been this consistently good. It's almost like his role is just always to be the underdog, no matter how good he is. It, it doesn't matter. I mean, I could easily flip this whole thing on its head and and even more so. Like Jokic has way more talent compared to what Dame is dealing with. And Dame has to do it as an undersized guard um, and create all his looks with just his insane shot making ability. But I wonder how much, um, I mean, what, what, it, what would it take? What would it take for him to be considered? I, I actually, I don't even know. I guess uh, the, the, the Trailblazers 
steamrolling all the way up to number one spot in the in the West, maybe if maybe that would get him in the conversation. And I really don't know what's good. What I don't think there is anything. If we're we're joining the Stephen A. bandwagon and telling them to get the hell out of Portland, then maybe that maybe that that's the only answer. I don't <laughs> think I don't think that's gonna be happening. But yeah, I really don't think there is anything that's gonna get him up there. I think he'll be in the conversation. I think he'll get some votes, but I don't think he'll be anywhere near the top. Yeah, I mean, so, so much of this has to do with with newness and and story. So much of of James Harden being the MVP was a, a product of the story of of his stardom in Houston and and this new style of play that Houston was running through him and him breaking scoring records and stuff. And in those years, LeBron definitely should have been the MVP. Same thing with Steph. Same thing with Derrick Rose. I mean, we can list can go on. There, there's so much more about the the feeling of of a guy rather than just like the pure production. Because I think when you look at it from a pure production standpoint, Dame's definitely there. LeBron's definitely there. But to see the return of the back to the basket big, but in a modern style, in Jokic and Embiid is just something that is in this day and age groundbreaking. Like it. It's fascinating to, to watch these guys play modern basketball, but in the body and the skill set of an age of basketball we haven't seen in decades, and they dominate it just like uh, the old bigs used to. So, yeah, I, I, I guess that a lot of it just has to do with the, uh, the actual story behind it. And I, I think the story is great. And um, I mean, speaking of Dame and stories, I mean, the amount of of tragedy he's had to overcome this season um off the court and the having to deal with being on this team basically alone after cj uh got hurt he doesn't have nurk there's there's definitely there's definitely a place for him to be discussed as an mvp and that should that should happen Our, our podcast should be more more dedicated to the to the true true mvp format um but but let's move on to talk about this guy who I think could definitely be an MVP candidate in the near future. Zion Williamson, maybe we already talked about him the other week. But this is, there's no such thing as too much Zion, but it's really starting to hit its peak of how Zion has already reached a superstar status in the league. There's no doubt about it. He's breaking teams down and he's carrying this which we've we've said beginning of the season and the I think my analysis still stays true to that is this this Pelicans team is garbage. They 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 are not built well around Zion. They don't work well defensively right now. That offensively it's very clunky, but Zion Williamson is putting up historical numbers without anything around him that makes sense to be honest. I mean he's he's the first player since Shaq to average one 25 points a game and shoot 60%. He's on pace to be alongside guys like Kareem, Wilt, Kevin McHale, um, fastest player to reach a thousand points is Blake Griffin. Most points amongst average uh, active players in the first 50 games. I mean, you name it. Youngest player since LeBron James to be named an all-star. These clearly um, in terms of an accolade standpoint, racking it up and beginning to look like the next big thing. Is he going to challenge Luca maybe for being that best player in the league after LeBron is gone? Improvements will have to be made for him to do that. I don't think the way his game is now, I don't think he'll be able to challenge Luca. 
I think he's got a few more strings to add to his bow there. But I mean, he's been he's been hella impressive. And when he the games, which is almost every game when you see him now and he's on form, opposition teams have no one that can defend him. It, it's it's really it's almost scary to see. As much as like uh, we look at, at the Pelicans as a whole, the team is really struggling. They're fifteen and twenty one. Uh, from February heading up to to the All Star break, they went eight and ten, which is just as slight an improvement as possible. Uh, in the previous uh, role, they were they were seven and eleven, so they made as slight as an improvement as they possibly could. But Zion has really stepped up, and it's everything. It's all that he's doing. The, the scoring he's doing, playing to his strengths. It's the smartest way to kind of develop yourself into the league. He has this strength when he's playing inside and, and he's scoring that way and he's dominating that way. And that's that's the best thing that he can do. Obviously, kind of that rookie year was a bit messed up with all the injuries and, and New Orleans were not wanting to risk him at all given the year that was in it. But now we're seeing everything we thought we were going to see from that Zion kid now, obviously shooting over 60% from the field. One thing I would like to see him improve on is the free throw percentage. Because he the way that the way he's playing, he's gonna start getting felled more and more, and he's gotta boost up that percentage. He needs that, yeah. Um yeah, you're right. Um, and strings is bow. I, I I like that. That that's a nice I've never heard you say that before. That, that's <laughs> I got it. I'm gonna steal that from you. Zion definitely has a little ways to go in terms of adding more to his his game, but he's I think the rate at which he's doing it, the 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 fact that they've in just a couple of months time implemented him as I mean, for half the game, it, it seems he's really the primary, primary uh, creator. They're having, they're having the ball in his hands. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's the peak at what he's going to be. He, he's not able to do that all game long, but already and just being the, the lead creator on the team on ball creator um, already making improvements in rebounding, and in uh, off-ball defense. I mean, he's still got a long ways to go in terms of defense, uh, but, you know, Luca definitely definitely has his, his own improvements to make there. But, I mean, the three-point shooting, you know, when we look at Giannis and how he's kind of <laughs> – Giannis, Giannis hitting a wall of, of development here is him being a two-time two MVP back-to-back and, and basically being in a, a walking – 30 30 10 and, and five player <laughs> like that that's the wall but I, I think Zion definitely can be you know making that sort of that that Giannis production the way that Giannis can can create without having a shot but Zion you know he's shown flashes of of being able to stroke it from three I, I think that's definitely something he can yeah. add to his game if not this year next year I mean there's there's definitely an avenue for him to just be an unstoppable force on offense and um i i think you're right the, the way they played recently it's it's not indicative of them making a run i think it's more indicative that they should be selling they should be major sellers this year in a market where nobody's selling everyone's trying to make it to the playoffs um i don't think there's any need for for the pelicans to rush their their development too fast here um and i, I think that if they can get back, it's looking very, very nice for them now. It's sitting at the eighth worst record for them to think about having a, a 20 plus percent chance at a top three pick, a 6% chance at a, at a number one pick. You know, they, they had a, what was it? A 5% chance to get Zion in the first place. If they had another wing here, they could be 
really cooking with some serious talent, especially with how stacked this draft is. Um, but just look, looking at looking at the West as a whole, well, you did this with the, at the East. We won't do too much of it here, but um, we talked briefly about the Suns, how impressive they've been. Uh, maybe not even enough, but you know, now there's the Suns are sitting at second in the West, 24 and 11, have impressive wins against teams like the Lakers, the Golden State Warriors, the Portland Trailblazers, um, even beating uh, Philly a few weeks ago. Um, they've been consistently good, and we, we mentioned uh, just how good their role players have been. And man, Mikhail Bridges, I mean, look. You can talk all we want about CP3 and Devin Booker. Everyone, everyone's doing that for us. I feel like uh, we're not a news aggregator here, but Mikhail Bridges, man, he is looking. I, I I'm really starting to question whether or not we've uh, miss missed the fact that he could have star potential. I I, I don't want to overreact to his production here now, but the way that he's been an elite defender. I mean, he's, he's a top, he's a top five uh, wing defender in the league right now. Um, the way he's been able to pass, he's actually second among wings and assist to turnover ratio. The way that he's been able to shoot the ball this year, he's having a career high in three. I, I think that on top of all that, the fact that he's been able to create on his own off the dribble and be, and making plays off the dribble, he's not just rotating the ball around the wing. He's actually creating plays it's stuff that you didn't see coming from a upperclassman drafted out of the lottery. You typically expect, you know, a, a really solid role player, but I think he's becoming much more than this simple three and D wing that we label him as. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I actually wrote, I wrote a piece on the Suns there today on, on my blog there. And I was just talking the importance of the role players and the guys that have just stepped up and you, you you could probably link it back to uh, the impact that that uh, Chris Paul is having, as well as the impact of of, of, uh, of the coach. He's in his second year, and uh, it's proven like he was it was a smart role. He showed the, he got that team playing a bit last year, and now this year they're looking like they're going to return to the playoffs and return to having a winning record. There, it'll be the first time ever since they drafted uh, Devin Booker, which would be uh, extremely impressive. But yeah, Mikael Bridges. Maybe maybe we're overacting slightly by saying he might just become a star, but look at watching the way he's playing now. Absolutely, this looking at this, at this guy as a potential a star on this team and a guy that's gonna be needed to continue to produce this way if this the Suns are gonna cause any upsets come playoff time. It's been it, it's been a really impressive year from from a lot of their role players. I think uh, I think they've got seven guys averaging averaging ten plus points a game. And uh, obviously Bridges is one of four guys that is shooting the ball 40% from three. And I think def- defense has been the key for them. They're, they're third in uh, opponents uh, points per game and also third in defensive rating. And it also, it's a, that's a huge jump compared to what they were last year. Massive. And, and it's also not really impacting their offense because they're still top 10 in offensive rating, which is slightly higher than what they were last year, which is that that's the biggest thing. You always kind of wonder with these kind of lower teams, Maybe if they kind of get better at one thing, that then the the opposite kind of drops down. But that's not happening. This is just a steady improvement uh, compared to what they were last year, which which is uh, really positive for for Phoenix. Yeah, it's 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 really 
interesting to see how um, this team has evolved so quickly. And it's great to see it um, under the, the leadership of, uh, of, um, of new GM Jones and having the leadership um, of Chris Paul. And we definitely can't like underestimate how, how players like Chris Paul this late in their career, the fact that he's looked at as a contract that you can't trade, can't do anything with it. And then he has been like the pivotal, pivotal reason that this Suns team has come around. And you think about a lot of teams who, who maybe thought about it and like, oh, we can't take on that contract. But to, to this point, Chris Paul is probably going to be a major reason why a lot of these guys make a huge leap in their development, not just in competing for, not a playoff spot, com- competing for home court advantage in the West. If, if they're doing that and their players are taking a huge jump, I mean, I just think about a team like the, the Bulls. I mean, the Bulls were definitely thinking about uh, adding a guy like Chris Paul, especially with that Billy Donovan connection. And to think about if Chris Paul was alongside guys like Zach Levine, Kobe White, Lowry Markin, and Wendell, that would be amazing. And to see it happen for the Suns, happy for them. And see it happen for Coach Monty Williams, who's been a steady, steady leader for them, has really allowed these guys to make the most of, of their talents. And that, that's all you can you can ask of, of coaches of young teams like this, um, seeing players be able to actually play in their strength instead of being pushed into um, roles that are just um, given to them. They're, they're, really, they're really beginning to flourish. And especially Devin Booker, I, I think we've, we have to change how we see him as a player. He's not just this on-ball creator, but he's, I'd say he's more elite as, a, as an off-ball scorer watching Chris Paul facilitate to him and, and Devin Booker just be an effortless um, shooter off of picks. I mean, it, it, there are times it looks Clay Thompson-esque, the, the way that he's, he's coming off screens and just elevating and shooting over guys and doing it from any, anywhere on the court. It's, I'm, I'm interested to see where, where this continues to go. Yeah, I think yeah, the the difference since he came back, he had that little that little injury after a difficult start of the season. I think he missed uh, three or four games, and since he's come back from that, he it's really showing a big jump in him. He's getting back to the sort of player we were seeing last season, and especially in the bubble, and the, the getting back to the guy that we truly believe has the potential to be an elite star in in, in the NBA. I think. We always know him as a, as a great scorer, but he, he's starting to look like so much more than that. And that just has to be so exciting if you're a Phoenix Suns fan. Yeah. And do we, at what point do we get rid of this uh, empty calorie stats label? Like, I, I think, you know, we, we stopped t- talking about Devin Booker being this, this um, all stats, no, no heart, no wins type of guy. We, we stopped talking about that as soon as they started winning games. And it's because the Suns have a better team. And it's it's a really, it's an argument to be had that, you know, like on a really shitty Suns team, Devin Booker was getting all the defensive attention, but he was still scoring. And then now that he has the opportunity to actually have a good team around him, he can do it more efficiently and he can win. And it's, it's crazy to me that guys like him, Zach Levine, um, you know, Jason, Jason Tatum at, at times, now that the, the Celtics aren't being as successful as they were last year, are, are maligned for being empty stats guys. But it's, I think it's entirely a product of the teams around them. And kudos to the Suns for, for 
going from their uh, their goat their goat turd situation to what they're at now. Do you remember that a few years back? <laughs> oh man, oh man. I, I, <laughs> all I say is on, on, on D book. You know, I'm a big D book guy, and he. The big thing is that last year they started to sort. They sort of got some sort of team in and around them. And they instantly had a big jump in their wins. I know it didn't turn into a winning season or anything, but there was a big jump from the previous year. And now this year they've got an even better team. And once again, we're show, we're seeing him be very efficient, score well, and it's contributing to wins. So as much as you want to, it's almost like you want to see these guys fail. You want them to be failures. You only really get the, the marks on guys like Tatum and guys like Levine and Booker because it's opposing fans that wish they had a guy like him <laughs> and they want to put yeah. them down. It's simple as that. Like the, the team around them is so important because the, you have to be that guy. It's not going to contribute because you're like the only guy on the team that's able to score at all. It's going to be sure. It's going to be a struggle to make that turn into wins until you've got enough talent around you. And the biggest thing you say is when they get that talent around them, they're still going to be putting up the numbers they currently are. And it's just going to, the only difference is it's going to be con, uh, contributing to consistent winning. Yeah. And the, so the uh, movement of Chris Paul brings about this, this thought of mine and how much of an impact a veteran, an elite veteran point guard can have on a team that is missing that cohesion, missing the playmaking, the leadership, the defense, from, from the point guard position that leads to winning. And a guy who's been on the trade block, um, or not not the real trade block, but maybe the uh, NBA Twitter trade block. <laughs> and it makes a lot of sense. Um, Kyle Lowry. You know, Fred Van Vliet is turning into not just uh, an elite uh, starter, but you know I think he's starting to make arguments for being a potential franchise cornerstone up there in, in Toronto. Um, Kyle Lowry has, in his own right, been a fixture of the Toronto Raptors for the last decade. He's had an amazing career there, but soon coming to an end. And he's still got a few good years left in him. He's at 35, he's still, he's still pretty close to his, his career averages, and he's still one of the better defenders at his position. He's still an elite three-point shooter. He's still an elite playmaker and he can do it at low usage. And I just wonder, you know, there, there are some teams out there that are going to make inquiries that are going to see maybe if that's the kind of guy that, that can uh, really have a Chris Paul effect, really galvanize a big change in a team that, that needs something like that whether that's for a bad team getting really good or maybe a really good team pushing towards contention. And I wonder, do you have any teams in mind? I got, I got a few here. I, I'd love to talk about, but do you, anybody that comes to mind, you think about needing a point guard like that. I mean, the, 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 the big tree that came up in my mind, uh, I'm looking at Miami, the mm. LA Clippers, and then of course, mm-hmm. Philadelphia, which are one of the mm-hmm. teams that he was actually strongly linked with there. Those are kind of the three teams that I look at that would, Definitely love love to make a move for a guy like Kyle Lowry. The, those are three of my four. Um, the clip. So let, let's talk about the Clippers real quick. I think the Clippers are out of their mind if they think they can get him. I, I wonder what they would have to put together because they don't own their own pick for the next hundred years. I don't even know when they <laughs> when they have their next pick that's theirs. But 
I mean, for, for the Raptors, you, you got to think from their perspective, they got some cornerstone pieces and Fred Van Vliet and Siakam. They got some really solid future starters and Ananobi, maybe Boucher is, is a guy that they want to hold on to. Um, but what are they trying to do? And I, I think that Masai Ujiri is going to want to keep building young talent. Um, is Terrence Mann that interesting for them? Is Mifandu Kabengele, is he interesting to them? Um, Kennard, maybe. That, that would, it would take some convincing, but maybe they've, they've got a few young guys there. You throw in Lou Will, Pat Bev. Um, but I, I think that there's a lot that could shake up, but ultimately, if the Clippers can pull off getting a Lowry, that's got to have a huge impact on, you know, what they're staring at, which is playing against the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. That, that's, that's probably, you know, the only thing you can think about. And having a guy like, like Kyle Lowry, you're basically got the band back together. You got Kyle Lowry, Serge Ibaka, and Kawhi Leonard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that, that was a, that's who I have down on my list. I, I, look, I was looking at possibly giving up Lou Williams, Beverly, and, and maybe even having to give up Zubach as well as just some other kind of filler piece then maybe after that. But I think they, they would have to give up a lot. And I think Zubach would be a tough one for them to give up but just because he's the backup center. And like, don't get me wrong, he's no like, superstar or anything like that, but... He plays, he plays an important role on the Clippers team and it would be tough for them to have to give up. But I think it would, it would, it would be worth it to get in a guy like Larry at the guard position. I mean, hey, take a page out of the Nets book and play Terrence Mann at the five if you have to get rid of uh, Zubats. Who cares? If you're getting Kyle Lowry back, I'd, I'd do that in a second. Yeah. Um, but the Heat, you mentioned the Heat. Um, when I think about them, is is Hero untouchable when it when it comes to if you're if you're ultimately getting back Lowry, if that's the prize there, it's just Lowry. Is Hero untouchable? I don't know. I, I would say I, I would say they'd have to give up one of Robinson and Hero. And be Robinson's looked tough this year. I don't know. I don't even of, know how much value he has right now. Yeah. The what I have here is I have Robinson non Alinic. Iguodala and possibly a pick, uh, a pick swap or 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 just a, a flat out pick for for Larry. Yeah, I <laughs> dude, I, I I love some of these these blogs out there, these fan fan based uh, blogs slash news, whatever. Because I, I saw an article, an actual article that was posted online that was Goran Dragic and Olnick for Kyle Lowry, straight up. And I, I almost threw my computer out the window. Like, <laughs> I don't know what the hell. Some people are, are so crazy uh, about their, their veteran guys. I think there's, there's so much like fan value to their really solid players that only they know how good they are. You know, like you're like, you could, you could argue guys like, uh, like back in the day, like our, my Taj Gibson for the Bulls. You probably don't feel the same, but, if, but guys like that, Goran Dragic is not going to get the deal done. Olenek is not going to get the deal done. None might push the needle. Um, you know, I, I think if I'm the Raptors, getting a guy like Precious Achua, Robinson, none, getting getting that infusion of young talent there in in uh, Toronto, that would that would be the move. And I think the Heat have to answer 
the question of, you know, you've got some young guys here. They've been productive, but you have Jimmy Butler, you have Bam Adebayo, and Jimmy Butler showed that with not a ton of help, he was able to push them all the way to the finals. Whether that was a a aberration of, of bubble play, who knows, but he did it, and he did it pretty convincingly. So if you get him a guy like Kyle Lowry, if you, you replace Goran Dragic's minutes, Kyle Lowry's minutes, that has to automatically give you pretty good pretty, pretty good uh, conversation of contending in the East. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think that would definitely help drive them back up to where where they want to be at, at, at this stage. Uh, I think Hero, uh, Hero in, that, in that conversation will be an interesting one because I kind of I would say it could end up being a big mistake on, on, on Miami's part if they didn't have to give him up but could still get the deal done. I don't think they should let it be a deal breaker. But I kind of would mm. like to see Hero in, in my in uh, Toronto, and they can just kind of mm. put him, give kind of almost give him the keys in a sense, and kind of just let him get out there and play because he's been kind of in and out of the starting lineup for for Miami. He hasn't he's kind of struggled a bit this year, but he's still a guy that I think everyone around the, around the league believes has the potential to be a star in this league. So I think it would be an interesting uh, an interesting one to see him out, out in Toronto if he just was able to just get out there and play. Yeah, they've those two guys, Robinson and Hero, have have definitely had a tougher time this year. But I, I think you give them time um, to figure it out, and they will. And, and the reason being that last year, you know, they, they were able to fly under the radar. They're they're not the first guy in a scouting report, but you know, once Dun- once Duncan Robinson's all over the internet, all over the TV, of being this this amazing shooter who came out of nowhere, and and Tyler Hero. I, all his uh, smug looks all over TV. <laughs> Guys are going to start showing up. Like, all right, we're we're not letting these these uh, these kids score on us. And it's if they sell low, it, it'll be that would be terrible for an organization that's finally been able to scoop up some good young talent. But another team here, a um, couple ones. You mentioned the 76ers um, getting Kyle Lowry. There's a super super convoluted trade involving the Cavaliers who would absorb Danny Green, Mike Scott, and Terrence Ferguson and get second round pick. The Raptors would get Andre Drummond, Tyrese Maxey, first round pick from Philadelphia, and another first round pick, 2021-2023 from Philadelphia. And the 76ers would basically get Lowry out of that. Um, I'm like looking at it, does this make sense? Is this a good? Is that a good return for the Cavaliers? Danny Green, Mike Scott, Terrence Ferguson, second round pick for Drummond. Better than nothing at this point, right? I mean, the most common way I'm looking at it at the moment is Drummond's gonna it's gonna be a buyout. So yeah, it's gonna be a buyout. Nothing for him. So yeah, I think at this moment I would definitely say that that's a that's a very good, getting a pretty decent return for for Drummond there. Yeah, and I still don't, I don't understand why Andre Drummond is constantly linked to the Raptors. I, I, I don't get why they want, like, I, I get they don't have a ton of production from the center spot there in Baines, but like, why Drummond? <laughs> like, I, I don't see the whole point in, in getting an expensive guy like him. I mean, unless you're getting off money, I guess, but I digress. I mean, obviously that, that's no, no conversation. Having him in Philadelphia, him and Seth Curry around Embiid, Simmons, that would be, I mean, I, I think it's it's for a team that's already 
convinced me that they could beat the Nets. I, I feel I feel pretty confidently they in a seven game series they have a a puncher's chance, as in Embiid posting up a hundred times a game chance at beating the Nets because they just can't stop that. But you add in Kyle Lowry, just another another reason why I think that they could do it. Um, but are they willing to get rid of Tyrese Maxey and two first round picks? We we do know Daryl Morey is, is not scared to make moves like this. That's why I'd be more confident in that, that they would be. I think uh, Daryl Morey likes to make big moves. So I think, yeah, I think that's definitely something that they, they'd be willing to go for. I think when I was originally looking at it, I was thinking they might have to to give up possibly Tybal and one of maybe Curry and Milton as well. So I think if they can get away with making a deal without having to give up Tybal or, or Curry alongside Green, I think that would be... That'd be a very good deal for for the for the 76ers. Oh, Tybal. Can you imagine Matisse Tybal and OG Ananobi on the wing? That would suck for opposing <laughs> offenses. That would absolutely suck. Those those two guys on on the perimeter together. And Tybal, I, I hope he continues to get some more more run. We've briefly talked about him before, but that's that's a guy that I think the 76ers absolutely should be holding on to for the playoffs. Um you mentioned the buyout. I want to talk about the buyout a little bit because um, news coming out now. Clay uh, Griffin, uh, Pistons are green. They're they're going to buy him out. I uh, don't know when. Didn't I? Didn't see any timetable for that. I'm assuming after the All Star break. Um, but the Nets are emerging as the primary team that will likely get Griffin in this buyout. Um, I'm just curious, like, what role do you think he's fulfilling here for the Nets? Like, what? What is what is he feeling there? I, I, I don't really know. When I saw it, I was just thinking <laughs> back to what I said last week when I just said that Blake is just one of those guys that will find a way to be with one of these contending teams. He's like he's just gonna chance his way to get into being on one of these teams, and that's exactly it feels that's exactly what's gonna happen. I'm not really sure what 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 their idea is for him co- coming in? What, what 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 way do you think they're going to play with him? You think they'll have I, him in as a starter or? Oh my God, no, no, that would be terrible. That would be terrible. That so he's not going to be starting for sure. I mean, off off the bench, you you know what what they've really had success with is alternating uh, Kyrie and Harden. Um, and you know maybe maybe there's maybe there's a role for for Griffin to be this. See, I I don't know. I, I can't think of it because here's the the bleak reality of Blake Griffin right now is he's a big who does not have the same athleticism to to challenge at the rim. Can't even dunk anymore. I mean the poor guy. And so I mean he's not challenging him at the rim, so that doesn't help at all in terms of you just wasted a roster spot on a a non-impact uh, big on the defensive end. Offensively, his, his three-point shot hasn't progressed at all. And his, his playmaking is down. And he, because he just doesn't have the, the same lateral quickness to, to create separation, which is what he was great at as a, as a four before. So, I mean, he's, I think at best, a, a serviceable backup four. Um, and again, maybe he's been playing possum. Maybe he's just been wanting to get out of Detroit and he's been so bad on purpose, wink, wink, just so that he can get <laughs> in this situation. But 
for for the Nets to be the best version of themselves, you know, I think they need to be experimenting with playoff lineups. And do I want Blake Griffin to be playing meaningful minutes where he needs the ball to post up? He needs the ball like he's he's been this this only good skill right now is posting up on smaller force. That's that's been his only solid skill so far. And does that skill on its own make the Nets better as a team? And I I I'm pretty hard pressed to think of why that would be. I don't know. And that's not that's not Steve Nash's style of play either. Steve Nash wants movement. Blake Griffin doesn't bring you a whole lot of that right now. Yeah, that's true. Hey, it's not confirmed yet, so we're 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 just going with what the, the strong rumors are at this moment. But uh, yeah, that'll definitely be an interesting one to see if that that does turn out to be uh, the way it goes. So uh, moving back to the Larry Trey, what was the who's the last team that you had on your on your list for Trey? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The Nuggets. Okay. I'd be really interested to see. Um, the Nuggets get a point guard there because I, I think, you know, Jokic has, we, we talked all that whole segment about how Jokic has been the sole um, operator in terms of running, running uh, sets for the Nuggets. But if you can, because Murray isn't that guy, Murray's shown that he's an elite scorer. You know, he can, he can be a good secondary creator, a good secondary playmaker, but for for the Nuggets to rely on Lowry as a solid, solid veteran point guard, that would do so much to take the load off of Jokic. Because not non-Jokic minutes offensively are awful. And I'm not really I've I've loved how Michael Porter Jr. has gotten better. He's been a way better rebounder. He's been more efficient from three. Um, picking his spots a lot better, accepting his role as a tertiary scorer. But, you know, in, in the playoffs, having Jokic off the floor is just going to decimate their any leads that they can put together. So having having Lowry to stop the bleeding, having Lowry to um, to galvanize a second unit that I think is is really good. I mean, their, their second unit can definitely get moving if they, I think if they have a guy like Lowry who can keep them alive. So Again, with the theme of Raptors trying to get some more young talent in there, especially now that they're clearly not going to be in the lottery this year. Um, getting back a Monte Morris and RJ Hampton, who hasn't really gotten a lot of run with the Nuggets. You're, you're wondering if they're kind of out of this period of player development. You already got to focus on Michael Porter Jr. It's going to be tough to even think about getting RJ Hampton in there. If, if RJ Hampton gets a chance to... to grow especially as a um having played internationally i think that's a big theme of guys in toronto um and maybe a couple a first round pick second round pick that i think is a pretty solid haul for the raptors who are getting two young players back one of which who was highly touted as a elite talent coming out of the draft um that's that's the last team i have there and i think in terms of impact i think the nuggets add a player who can take them from being a deep playoff contender to having a serious conversation about whether maybe they can, they can survive a Clippers again and survive against the Lakers. No, they more than survived. Yeah, they more than survived against the Clippers last year. But yeah, I think that, yeah. that was, that was Jamal Murray supernova. And I, we don't know <laughs> if we'll ever get that again. <laughs> he needs to bubble back, but um <laughs> 
Yeah, I think I, I, that's that's kind of an interesting one. You mentioned that to me uh, earlier on today, and I think that would be, I think that's one where you'd notice the impact of Larry the most. I think in Denver, and I think he mm-hmm. kind of pushes that team into the highest possible perch compared to the other teams that we talked about. So, if the Nuggets could work a deal, we don't. They're not known for kind of jumping out and making these sort of big deals. I still don't know if they would. They'd feel they had to give up MPG. Whether they want to still, they would want to give up on it on MPG at this moment. But I would love to see to see Larry playing his ball in Denver and just being able to. Because I still, as much as Raptors kind of made things a bit more solid, I don't believe they're going to be any sort of team this year. So I think I'd like to see Larry get onto a team for the last couple of years of his his prime, basically, and and, and be a big impact player on, on, on a contender. Yeah. That, that, that's what I hope for too. Um, I mean, he already, he got his rank with uh, Kawhi who, who knows if, if he, and here's one thing we need to think about too. We, we talked about the Raptors, what they would want as an organization. Um, you know, Masai Ujiri will want that hall of young talent, but I, I do think that to a degree that the Raptors are going to do what's best for Lowry. I think they they might give him that goodwill. I think that they're the type of organization um, to do that. Uh, or are they? I guess. <laughs> what? Well, well, Demar Derozan. They will. Would Demar Derozan agree with that? That's that's a pretty pretty interesting wow. question. Yeah, oh, well, it's it's working out for Demar now this season. It has, but that a was a that was a pretty now. rough, a pretty a, rough move to get. That was that was a cold move, no <laughs> doubt about it. But I mean, I don't know how ru- that escaped the conversation. <laughs> we saw the rumor that he has sold his house. We'll probably see the rumor tomorrow that he's bought another house in in, uh, in Toronto. But uh, let's take let's take that for now. We'll take it as a sign that he uh, that Kyle Larry is 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 gonna is about to make his move out of uh, out of Canada and back over to the United States. I know we I've I've learned the hard way that real estate is not a significant part of uh, player <laughs> movement. I, I remember when Kawhi Leonard had, had bought a house in in, uh, in Toronto that I was like, oh, see, he's going to stay. And then it was just some real estate investment. And then he dipped <laughs> off to California two months later. But uh, I, I think we're a little bit on time here. Is, is there any last things you want to you want to touch on? We, we covered a lot here. We did. I think we got we got all the main points across. I think it's been it's been an interesting first half of the year. There's it's going to be uh, very very big in the second half of the year. We see some of these top players. Can they keep it up, guys? Who are having big years? Guys like Jokic, guys like Embiid. Can they keep it up for a full season? That's the question mark. We got to lay on them, and it's going to be interesting to see what they're like coming out of the All Star break. Yeah, the this has been such a, and we'll we'll look at it further on the season because you know percentages go down um, over the course of the season. But this has been, I feel like every team has some level of historic mark. Like there are some players on every single team that are just making massive strides this year. Um, I, I'm not sure what it is. I, I don't know if it's just not having the pressure of a crowd. Maybe there's more time to be focusing on their craft now that there's not really anything else to do. But it's been it's been an impressive year in, in player development and um, just excited to see where everything goes next, man. And this all-star game, as 
as controversial as it is not having uh not having a few guys in, in the rising stars like uh Emmanuel quickly <laughs> and man I, I just have to talk about that for a second because I think it's just absolutely hilarious and so New York the fact that you guys got um <laughs> you got um Randall you got Julius Randall in the all-star game when he definitely there's definitely possibly he wouldn't that wasn't enough for you. They just have to be upset about Emmanuel quickly not making the all-star game. New York was more mad that quickly didn't make the rising stars than they were happy that Randall made the all-star game. Hey, that, 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 that's New York. <laughs> when we can, when we, when we get the, we get the joy of having one great thing. We, we need every great thing to come right at that very same time. It can't just be one. We gotta get, we gotta have it all right at once. All right. Well, the, Real quick, predictions, really quick. Dunk contest. Obi Toppin, Anthony Simons, Cassius Stanley. Yeah, no Zion. Uh, are, you, are you picking Toppin? Is that, I'm is that taking my pick? Toppin guy. I think this is going to be his 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 uh, his mark to announce himself to the to the wider NBA world, and uh, hopefully we'll see uh, some more minutes for him in the second half of the year. He's got it. Um, Obi Toppin's too fun of a player for Thibodeau to play, so at least get him in the all in the uh, dunk contest. I got Cassius Stanley, forty-four inch vert. Dude's an absolute human springboard. I, I hope he does some crazy stuff there because it's kind of a uninspiring lineup there, to be quite honest. The three-point contest: Steph Curry, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Devin Booker, Zach Levine, Donovan Mitchell. Is it even a question? Well, what way are you looking at? Are you looking at your boy Zach or are you looking at Steph? <laughs> I'm wearing his jersey, man. I'm wearing his jersey. <laughs> and by the way, you're wearing the wrong one. You're wearing an RJ Barrett one right now. You should be, you should have gone out and got your boy Randall. <laughs> um no. Steph Curry, he's he's gonna this should be easy. Should be an easy one. Steph Curry's not losing this. He takes this the three point contest very seriously. You know what? I'll take my deep my boy D book. I'll give I'll get D book's my guy. I'm gonna back into to, to cause cause a, a slight upset. All of these guys are very talented from three. So as much as Steph is the goat, I think it, it's not not a wouldn't be crazy to see one of these other guys to take the crown. Yeah, it's very likely to be picking the worst three point shooter out of this bunch to win it. But hey, <laughs> go for it. Uh, <laughs> NBA skills challenge. Uh, this one is so weird. Robert Covington, uh, Julius Randle, uh, Luka Doncic makes more sense. Chris Paul, Sabonis, Vucevic. Uh, are, so in that same line of thinking, are you going to pick Covington? <laughs> I think uh, I think it's gonna be. It's probably gonna be come down to CP3 and Luka there is my thinking. A guard hasn't won in what is it three years? It was like Carl Anthony Towns. Who else did it? It was Jokic. Uh, it, it's been a big for the past few years now. It's it's been the dominance of the bigs. It's time to return, turn turn to normality almost. You know what? You know what? It's all it's always the, the try hard in the in the skills challenge. I'm going Robert Covington. <laughs> For no reason other than I'm going to be very excited if he gets it. I love it. <laughs> I need a good reason to watch that thing because nobody cares about the skills challenge. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> I, I don't even know why they still have it. You could, you could, you could substitute a tennis match between. I'd, I'd ra- actually, yeah, I'd, I'd rather see, I'd rather see Chris Paul, Luka Doncic, and Robert Covington face Julius Randle, Simonis, and Vucevic on like a three-on-three tennis match or something. That, or <laughs> volleyball. That would be a lot more fun. True. <laughs> 
Oh, man. All right, man. So we, we've covered everything here. Another awesome episode. Jam-packed. Going to do it again next week. Uh, I'm very, very interested to see uh, if, our, if our boys, Randall and uh, Levine, can actually get some minutes. Um, we'll see if Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert were picked last. Just more snubs to the, uh, to the Jazz. If they, if they get any minutes, uh, that was real awkward. But... <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, man. I'll talk to you again next week. Yeah, man. Looking forward to it. See you, man. joining us on today's episode of coast to coast don't forget to hit us up on instagram and twitter at coast to coast nba podcast to hear your takes discussed right here on the show and remember take every shot and love every moment